a lot of people think, oh, that just, that doesn't happen. That never happens. These kids didn't have autism before. Uh, they were misdiagnosed other, because there is no recovery from autism. Right. Um, but there are so many studies now. What do they tell us? Okay. So, and you know, just kind of back to our definition. If you think um, autism is just being sort of a different quirky perspective on life, then yeah, there's no recovery from that. Why would we want to recover someone right. from being different and being interesting? We That's don't not what to. we're talking about. Right. We're talking about recovering someone from not being able to communicate when they want to. Recovering someone from not being able to make friends if they want to. Recovering someone from not being able to dress themselves or feed themselves, right? Mm -hmm. We're not talking about making someone normal. Let's just right. be real clear about that. Um, and first of all, there's no such thing as normal, normal right? And even, if, and even if there was, why would we want to make people normal? Yeah, what a nobody, boring world. Yeah, right? nobody would want to be that. Right. So, okay. So, uh, the science. Um, it's an interesting thing because it actually goes all the way back to the very first uh, major landmark study, the LOVAS uh, uh, 1987 study, where basically what they did was they showed uh, that the kids that got 40 hours a week for two or more years of ABA um, at the end of treatment were succeeding in regular education without any specialized supports and they had uh, IQ tests in the average range and, and LOVAS called that outcome recovery. Well, actually, let's be clear on that. He, he, what, the outcome that he called recovery was kids who didn't need help anymore. They're mm -hmm. doing fine in a mainstream situation. The only evidence that he had for that, though, was IQ tests and the fact that they were passing first grade, okay, mm -hmm. without support, mm -hmm. which is actually not bad. If you can pass first grade without support, that's pretty good test, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not easy to succeed in mainstream education, right? Right. Um, but anyways, he didn't have the best measures scientifically. Um, in fact, he didn't have any measures of actually, you know, autism, right? Mm -hmm. Like autism symptoms, IQ is not a symptom of autism. Right. And, uh, you know, passing first grade is not a symptom of autism. So what he really needed to have was some direct measures of the symptoms of autism. So language, socialization, and maybe some like diagnostic measures. Um, back then, the research just wasn't there yet. Um, and so he got a lot of criticism, actually, for using the word recovery. Uh, and since then, no, uh, no mainstream ABA outcome researchers have dared use that word again, honestly, okay. um, <clears throat> until very recently. And so multiple studies have been published since that study in 87. There's um, uh, a study by Tris Smith and colleagues in 2000. There were uh, several studies in uh, 2005, 2006, 2007 by a variety of different researchers uh, working in different countries, doing ABA therapy in different languages even. None of these people affiliated directly with LOVAS or UCLA. Mm -hmm. um, producing this very similar results. They're not calling them recovery though. They use other euphemisms for it. So uh, for example, sometimes they say um, rapid learners. Okay. But if you look at what is a rapid learner defined as, it's defined as a child who's succeeding in regular education with no supports, right. has IQ in the average range, has uh, a diagnostic test saying doesn't qualify for an autism diagnosis anymore, mm -hmm. has social skills tests in the average range, and Vineland scores, which is a overall composite of adaptive uh, mm -hmm. abilities in the average range. So in other words, given every test you can think of and they're doing fine right. they don't present with any deficits and they're succeeding in regular education and they don't qualify for an autism diagnosis anymore you can call that whatever you want but i'm pretty comfortable with using the word recovery right uh, and we to need to be clear that those children all did qualify for an autism diagnosis in the beginning of okay course. so multiple multiple studies showing that it's possible for children to get to this point where they don't need those other supports and they're functioning that's right within normal and they have no disability stopping them from doing what they're what they want to 
do. Exactly right. And uh, Deborah Fine's research group at the University of Connecticut has been very active uh, in this area as well. Uh, and what her and her graduate students have been doing is systematically taking groups of kids who uh, in the community, the, the parents or somebody claims, yeah, my kid recovered. Um, and they give them every test imaginable you can mm -hmm. think of. And then they take another group of kids with really high functioning autism, like let's say mm -hmm. kids with Asperger's or, uh, or PDD-NOS with uh, normal or superior IQ. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then they give them all the same tests. And then they give a, a group of typical kids, same age, mm -hmm. give them all the same tests. Okay. And then what they do is compare those scores to see mm -hmm. which ones are different and the same. And what they found was kids who had recovered are indistinguishable from the typically developing kids on all of those tests. Okay. Mm -hmm. And these tests are given by blind raters, people who have no interest in the okay. study. They have no idea which, which group the kids belong to. They're giving a, an objective test and they look the same. Now they compared the kids who are recovered to the kids who still have high functioning autism. Yes. And they showed that, yeah, they're not the same. They're a little bit different. The kids in the high functioning group are doing pretty darn well, right? They got right. a lot of language. They're, you know, their IQ is doing good, but they still have definite social deficits and right. presence of repetitive behavior. They're not the same as the recovered group, okay? okay? Then they also compared the high functioning still has autism group to the typical group and again, found a difference between those. Okay. Does that make sense? Totally. Now, the really exciting thing that they did is they went back and reviewed the, um, the charts, the original diagnostic charts, original records of all of those kids and compared them, again, blind, okay? Right. And so they compared the ones who um, still have high-functioning autism to the ones who recovered and, and tried to see are there any differences in their diagnostic uh, situation at intake, like when right. they first started treatment, and they couldn't tell the difference between those those two groups. Okay. In other words, the kids who had recovered were the same as the kids who still had when high they started. When they started, right? Yes. And so in other words, these folks who recovered did have autism. And it was verifiable, it was very clear that yes, indeed, they did qualify for a diagnosis. And, th and these judgments were made by, not by people who do ABA treatment. These are researchers completely outside of ABA. Right. In fact, they're not even mentioning ABA in this article, which right. is a little bit annoying to me, but whatever, <laughs> you know. But all they're doing is just documenting that yes, indeed, recovery from autism exists. Yes. And they've done enough studies now where it's not really reasonable to question it anymore. The more interesting questions these days are, what treatment produces it the fastest? How can we get more kids to recover? Yeah. How can we predict which kids are going to recover? Not does it exist or not. That honestly, from a scientific perspective, it's pretty clear now it's not reasonable to argue against recovery anymore.